Welcome to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by Compassionate Living. I'm your host, Hope Bohannock, and you can find all our past shows and more information by going to our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org, and please engage with us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram. We would love to hear from you there. Okay, so we have a unique subject and interview today. There was just so much to unpack with my amazing guest, Molly Elwood, that we're just going to jump right into the interview here and dedicate the whole podcast to this interview. I really love when someone comes up with a creative or unique strategy for animal advocacy, something that's never been tried before. You know, I've been doing this work for 30 years now, so it's sometimes hard to come up with something new and very exciting when someone does, and Molly has done that for sure. So thank goodness for young brains and new ideas. So we're going to just jump right into this really fun interview. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, let's bring in our guest for today. Today we have Molly Elwood. She is a copywriter and has spent a decade creating content for major brands. Molly is also the creator of the vegan activist website, Elwood's Organic Dog Meat, which launched in August of 2021. This fictional farm raises dogs for meat with claims uh, like organic and local and free range and ethical. And the idea was to parody meat industries messaging, encouraging folks to explore their cognitive dissonance around the animals that they choose to put on their plates. Welcome to the podcast, Molly. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk to you because you have come up with something that is very unique. Uh, this is a satirical campaign, everyone. This is not a real. Fiction, that's right, not real. It's a fictional farm that sells dog meat. Yes. Right. And <laughs> as of April 2022, elwooddogmeat.com, that's the URL, has over 1.3 million unique views. The Facebook page has over uh, 42,000 followers, which is crazy. It's ridiculous. It's It's totally ridiculous. And one of the, your posts actually reached 10 million people had 21,000 comments. It's still, it's still spiraling out of control. It's my favorite one to check in because people are still sharing it. Wow. It's, it's just, it's mind blowing. So, okay. How did all this start? How on earth <laughs> did this come about? What, what, what happened? Yeah. Something I just came up with. No. Um, so <laughs> I, let me see. I, I have been doing like trying to do creative vegan activism for a while. You know, I did like choctivism and blogging and baking for people. Um, I made uh, like a vegan info box and I posted it in front of my house, which was right next to a grocery store. And it had like a big heart. And it was like, if you care about animals, check it out. And Mm -hmm. I filled it with like recipes and pamphlets and books. Um, And I also, I also hung a sign on my door that said solicitors welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Solicitors will be told about veganism. Yes. I have these vegan pamphlets (laughs) that I give them to solicitors and it was great because I was like, I will listen to you. And when you're done, uh, you will have two minutes of (laughs) vegan activism. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I've, I've always really been interested in trying to find ways to use my creativity and activism. Mm. And I'm a communicator. I'm like you said, my backgrounds and my backgrounds in advertising. So and words. And so I always feel like I have nothing but ideas and no time to do things. So this all this whole thing started because I wanted to make a vegan bumper sticker for my truck and I didn't see the one that I wanted. And my husband and I both share a truck. So we were kind of debating what that sticker would be. Is it, you know, a kindness message? Is it a fact message? And my husband really wanted something logical and I wanted something more feely and emotional. Mm-hmm. And then we were, we were joking. We were definitely um, drinking at the time. And we were like, <laughs> what if, what if we made Elwood dog meat as a bumper sticker? 
And then we had a second bumper sticker next to it that said, does this make you mad? If so, ask yourself why you're not vegan. And that was just going to be it. It was just going to be us and our bumper sticker. Uh And then I was like, but what if it went to a website? And then we're like, well, what what would be on that website? And so we just kind of were joking around what that would be. And uh, we went on a design. There's a place called customink.com where you can make <laughs> make giant magnets for your car and it has all these wonderful photoshop like little clip art tools so we just put together a magnet for the car and then I built the website the the website itself is just for people who aren't aware elwooddogmeat.com is a journey for anybody who visits it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It starts up off up top. It's all, it's all copied from other like farm to table websites. So yeah. it explains who we are. It's a family tradition. Um, all of our dogs are raised ethically and organically. And, and, but as you, as you scroll down, it keeps asking you like, does this bother you? Yeah. But don't worry. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I wanted to say that because, well, because right when you go to the, to the site, I mean, it's, you don't get that it's not real. I mean, it yeah. looks very real at the top of the homepage and, you know, it says set the table with man's best friend. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's actually set the table with man's best meat, which is even funnier. <laughs> oh, oh, that's funny. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. Cause I just made a note here and yes. I wrote it as man's best friend, but yeah, man's best meat. Ooh. Ooh it's um, got nice, nice alliteration. Yeah. 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 And you've even got um, a product page that's got like Labrador steaks and pug bacon and yeah. golden retriever milk. Ugh, mm-hmm. just, just yeah. Disgusting. Mm. But, but yeah. Mm. Uh, but as you go down the page, then you start kind of unpacking it or, or, or kind of uncovering what's going on a little bit. Right. And, and I thought that it was really interesting about halfway down the page, you have Elwood's organic pig meat. Does yes. that make you feel better? You know, and then you say something like, well, and I I wrote it here, consider what it means to open your heart to the idea that so-called food animals are just as worthy of love and compassion as a dog. So you kind of reveal what's going on. It's kind of like, and then at the bottom of the page, the jigs up, you, you, you definitely uncover that this is a vegan site that you're, you know, making a point, but I mean, just, it's so creative, so incredible. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know you've gotten just a range of reactions. Yeah. <laughs> huge, yes. A lot. Huge range of reactions from vegans and non-vegans and everyone in between. So tell us about the reactions to this. And, and I, I kind of want to hear first about the non-vegans, how they've reacted. Right. Uh, and, and you've actually gotten some, some orders, right? Yes. Yes, definitely. Oh. Um, so um, I set it up so I can get comments. So I, I have these social media pages that all funnel to the website. All paths lead to elwooddogmeat.com. And um, so I get comments and direct messages and emails and voicemails. I set up a voicemail account, which is wow. just a thrill. Um, <laughs> and I also get real life reactions because we do have this really giant magnet on our car, as well as other people who have bought it and they share their reactions as well. Hmm. Um, and so all these auto rest, like I said, all these auto responders lead people back to the website, but still there are people with questions. So for the people who think it's real, before they figure it out, people tell us to kill ourselves. They wish our business would burn down. Oh no! They they want to know where we are because they're on their way. Wow! Over. And but it's funny because we're local, so we are local to everywhere. And they'll be like, "Where are you?" And we'll say, "We're local." And they'll say, "Oh, you're in Bellevue." And we're like, "Yes, we are." And they're like, "Where?" I'm like, "Down on River Road, just close by." And you know, come come on by. Um. So, oh. but I yeah. And then there are people, you know, there's vegans that get caught in this. And I, I use the, the vegan metaphor as bycatch. I feel very bad for all the vegans who are caught in it, but they, <laughs> I'm very sorry to everybody. Uh, but so then there, the people who do know it's fake, I believe those are the people making, they're making fake orders. I assume most are trolls, but I mean, you do, you never know dog is eaten in other places. So, and I come up, it comes up really high in search and I like to think our dogs are humanely raised. So they are trying to order from us, which shows they're on their, they're on their way. They're on their journey to veganism. 
I guess I hope, Um, (laughs) but so, so the non-vegans, I mean, this is what's so fascinating, right? Is Mm -hmm. that they see ads all day for cows and pigs and turkeys and chickens Mm -hmm. that are not humanely raised and not, you know, local and whatever, or, or that are, that do have those labels either way. And that's just, you know, they just go about their day. They're seeing it all the time. Mm-hmm. But suddenly they see this ad for dog meat and it drives them to the point that they're, they're making death threats yes. to you. Yeah. Wow. I mean that it's so telling and so uh, just amazing that, right. that there would be that kind of visceral reaction to just a different species of animal. Right. One of, one of my, so I have these they're not so much autoresponders, they're buttons. I mean, they're messages that I have pre-written. And if I'm talking to someone in the Facebook chat feature and they will say, you know, they'll get very upset. And once they figure it out, the message replies, thank you for being a compassionate advocate for animals and acknowledging that the it, their actions in their anger and compassion for these dogs is the same as a vegan person. So, you know, saying thank you for being a compassionate advocate for animals, consider what it might mean to leave these animals off your plate, you know, and have this relationship with other animals in the same way. And then I send them to this about page that walks Mm -hmm. them through why they're experiencing these emotions. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, that's just fascinating. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And then, and so you've also though, get reactions from vegans as well. And I'm sure some of those are really passionate and, and intense as well as right. vegans can be. Yes. Uh, yes. Oof. Um, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to wonder um, if I, if I have the time, I often will go check out someone's profile page to find out if I should be stringing them along or not, because with the, with the non-vegans, I will not answer whether it's real. I just keep telling them they need to read the website. I will not you know, engage until they have done the work on their own. But if it's a vegan, I just try and shorten it really quick. No, no, no. It's not. Thank you. Thank you. You're this, you're caught. I'm sorry. Please share. Wow. Well, you, you probably have to have a really thick skin through all this. It's it's gotten a lot thicker. Yeah. I'll bet. I'll bet. And it's actually made me very empathetic. I'm empathetic towards the non-vegans or pre-vegans, whatever you want to call them, Um, (laughs) the pre-vegans who are very emotional, you know, that the death threats and everything actually are very encouraging to me. I'm not upset by them. I'm like, fabulous. Someone is feeling an emotion for an animal. We're close. We're on the path. We're on the path together. And I feel, you know, I try to be very, while I say that I'm callous and I send them back to the website, I am trying to be very compassionate and gentle because they are going through the vegan experience. This is the equivalent of the pre-vegan who finally sees the chicks sorted into a macerator. You know, this is like, how is this happening? And I can't believe that I'm taking part in this. And while they may not be buying dog, they, they see that same, this is what is happening in the world. And similar with vegans who are having this, I mean, they're just like, what is another atrocity? (laughs) Just one more thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's really an incredibly positive way to respond and look at it. Um, that's yeah. very healthy of you. Yeah, <laughs> that's <try>. good. <laughs> no, that's really good. Uh, yeah, and I do, I do want to say though that I think that as vegans, especially online, that we do need to be more careful though with our empathy, like having empathy uh, mm-hmm. and using nonviolence in our words an energy really, because we can get so uh, enraged. And, and like you said, it's coming from a good place. It's coming from that place yes. of passion and, and realizations and wanting mm-hmm. to make change and, and being appalled at what's happening in the world, which, which, yeah, that is good. But also too, we need to be, be effective in mm-hmm. our communication this is something that's, you know, frustrating to me. And I, I see it a lot on social media that vegans are, we can just get a little, um, intense. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and and to the point where we're not heard. Exactly. Actually, to be honest, this is, um, you know, it's kind of like putting, putting things together in retrospect. Like I think about the fact that 
before Elle with Dog Meat, I was very active on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, having these debates with people in the comments. I want to, I want to inform, I feel, you know, that feeling of, if you just knew what I knew, you would be vegan too. And we're all, you know, everybody's on the journey and I'm going to get you, I'm going to speed you up on that journey. But one of the joys of this project is it's content that I have created that I can use and other vegans can use without having to be the person who engages, you know, I'm sending you information and now you, you like set it free. (laughs) This website is a, is a personal journey for someone to take and for them to decide how much they want to engage in it. And you don't have to have this conversation with them. This is a conversation people end up having with themselves while looking at the information and I mean, I get a lot of messages from people who have just shared the website and they got, you know, they, they just said, Hey, ch- check out this website. Have you, have you seen what's going on at, at Elwood's? And somebody will be like, Oh my God, this was the last straw. I looked at that and I realized X, Y, and Z. And I don't want to say that this website is, you know, making, I'd like to say it's making people vegan, but it is, it is for some people, it is the last step they need the last Mm. connection they make. And, um, but to go, to go back to what we were saying was that having those one-on-one engagements is very tiring. It's very hard to say the right things and keep your cool. And it's very emotionally draining. And I think that vegans can do themselves and the, and the movement a favor by sharing information and letting the information speak for itself. Mm. As opposed to, you know, having these debates with people who just want to fight or having, yeah, you know, yeah. if you have the energy, do it. But if you, if you don't, if you can't do it effectively, let, you know, take a step back and let the news stories or the yeah, pictures yeah. do the work, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have a whole podcast from last year with uh, Andy Tabar uh, from the Bearded Vegans podcast. Mm-hmm. We went into, you know, effective online communication and, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's all kinds of things like the backfire effect, where if you're having a debate with someone and they're having to come back at you with all their facts, they can be just be digging their heels in and you mm-hmm. may be actually reinforcing their strongly held meat eating be- beliefs, you know, that mm-hmm. where you're actually doing possibly more harm than good, you mm-hmm. know? So, yeah. Yeah. Delicate. It's a, it's a, it's a delicate dance. Definitely. Delicate dance. I love that. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. Do you have any reactions that were kind of, I don't know, just something that you want to share that you think yeah. was really yeah. interesting or yeah. Yeah. So in the month of May, I had a truck in Las, Las Vegas. I had a truck in Las Vegas, one of those advertising rolling trucks with a video on it. And it went up and down the strip for the whole month of May. And it was just something fun that I, you know, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you mean it was for Elwood dog meat? Yes. For Elwood dog meat. It, okay. It, so you had like a big video or what? A video on the back of a, a video on the back of a truck, like okay. one of those, one of those wow. rolling mobile billboards. Okay. You, I, we designed it. You put it up there. It's funny in the morning, in the morning, it said it was advertising the dog meat as though it's just, you know, it's just a farm, Ella dog meat, delicious dog since 1981 with the website on it. And it's rolled up and down the strip in the mornings at night, the, the, the truck shares the screen with other advertisers. And so the person who runs the truck goes, you know, I don't want you to share anything that's going to upset my other advertisers. So how can you tweak your message? So at night it says, it said, stop Ella dog meat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it was really big it, with a big dog like stop so you're it. so you're protesting yourself I'm protesting myself I needed, yeah. <laughs> to, I needed to make a fake yes so there's there's an anti-dog there's an anti-Elwood dog meat group out there and they put up a sign it was me anyway so this is done at night and I shared I shared this on social media and a vegan responded to me they said don't you need to ask permission to do this and it made me laugh so hard because I'm like, who do you ask permission? Who, who would you ask permission to, to do this? It's, and you think that what, wait a minute, wait a minute, ask permission. I don't don't understand. They saw the pic that I didn't either. They saw the picture of the truck (laughs) and they said, who they're like, don't you have to ask permission to do this? 
And I'm oh, in- like to sell dog meat because it's so or, horrible or, or to, or to even, or me as an activist, who do you have to, you know, don't you have to get permission to run a fake truck? And I was thinking, I'm like, permission from Las Vegas, permission from the, <laughs> from the meat establishment uh-huh. from the, and he, he, they responded with, I don't know, the U S government. And I thought what was so interesting about that one is funny. I really enjoyed it. Um, I was like, do I have to ask permission from God, I guess. Um, <laughs> but the other question is how many things do we ask ourselves as activists? I need to get permission to do this. Don't I have to get permission to do this? And there are so many things we don't have to get permission to do, do a little, re- we can do a little research and find that, you know, chalk activism is totally fine. Putting up fake flyers is totally fine. Yeah. You know, there's not, it's not, people often say, you know, this is fake advertisement. And I'm like, no, cause I'm not actually selling anything. You're not buying something and taking it home. So I'm really excited to think that what can, what can activists do when they stop asking who do I need to get permission from and start going, what can I do? Mm. What, what, can, how can I reach people in a unique way? Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. that was just yeah. a thought that that's really interesting. Well, you know, as activists, I think we're more uh, inclined to the, to the, uh, what is it? Um, better to, better to ask forgiveness than yes, permission. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But also, but also do, you can also do some due diligence. Like I, when I first went viral, I reached out to a lawyer and I went, can I get in trouble? What are my boundaries? Mm, what do I need? What smart. do I need? To, yeah. What do I need to worry about? Yeah. Um, so there are questions to ask, but there's also a lot of, a lot of gray area that we can play in. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 And that's what I love about this is that it's so creative. And, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been doing this activism for 30 years and it's true. We're kind of, you know, we've been doing the same kind of thing. I mean, it has evolved and we're getting more effective. We're learning what's more effective and that kind of thing. But, but you rarely see something like this. That's just so kind of out of the box and weird and fun (laughs) and, Yeah, it's great. I mean, you've you've really created an amazing, an amazing project. It's uh, it's easy if you're um, just kind of willing to risk things, you know, you're not worried about getting, hopefully you won't get fired. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's great. So I want to talk about satire because what you've done is satire and satire has a long history of being used in political discourse. Mm-hmm. But the satire that we see or that we maybe think about now, like like SNL or Trevor Noah, you know right away that it's not real. Like you know right up front that it's going to be a joke or whatever. But what you've done is more straight-faced satire. You've done something more like Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal. And this is a a famous essay that was written in 1729. Swift published it uh, anonymously first, but then it came out that it was him. And he was trying to expose the the kind of indifference and the the heartless attitude of British policies toward the poor, particularly the poor and starving people of Ireland. And in his essay, he just, it's very, you know, written like actually proposing this. He Mm -hmm. suggests that the poor Irish parents, the people that are starving in Ireland, sell their children to be eaten by the wealthy, rich British people. Right. (laughs) And, uh, and I have a quote here from, from the essay, a young, healthy child, well-nursed is at a year old, a most delicious, nourishing, wholesome food, whether stewed, roasted, baked, or boiled. So you kind of get, (laughs) get the picture, right. Mm. And it, and it reminds me so much of your (laughs) website. It's crazy. Uh, you know, and of course this caused an uproar and an outrage and, you know, people were just so outraged by this, this essay, but Swift was trying to, of course, point out the irony that people were allowing these children to starve to death. So, so why not? Why? What's the difference in killing and eating them if they're going to starve to death, or you're la- allowing them to starve to death? So, so yeah. yeah, it's it's this it's this kind of deep satire, right? Yeah, uh, and it kind of forces people to confront these uncomfortable emotions. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so, do you want to kind of talk about that? Yeah. Um. I. I started out thinking, you know, if they think it's real, 
they're going to spend more time thinking about it. And once they discover it's not real, then they, they become invested into why this was made. You know, what judgment is this website making? What are, why, why would somebody go to this length to string me along like this? So good satire attacks an idea. It makes a judgment. It's, it has, you know, some humor to it, whether it's playing with words or, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. But the whole point is the desire to create change. And that's actually one of the differences between satire and parody. There's this really great quote from Vladimir Nabokov which is satire is a lesson and parody is a game. And so the whole point of, of things like a modest proposal, and I hate to even put them in the same sentence, the same thing as modest proposal and Elwood Dogme is we need to create change and we need to create action. And we, maybe we're going to get there through emotion. Mm, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think whether it's whatever, a, Uh, emotion this evokes, whether it's humor, you know, you think this is funny or it's anger, it makes it more shareable. It Mm. makes it into something that people want to talk about. People want to figure out if it's real. If they can't figure out it's real on their own, they will share it. But one of the things about humor specifically is humor is very disarming and, and also, and, and also humor is very social. You know, people, people who get the joke want to share the joke they're in on it. They want to be part of it. And also, you know, it's witty. So they're witty by sharing it. And, and also people like to be part of a trick. So being like that inside crowd of, of sharing something that, you know, is going to catch someone is pretty fun. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you can certainly put it in the same category as a modest proposal. It is the modern (laughs) modest proposal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I should, maybe I'll, maybe I'll make a satire out of his and just swap it with dogs and see how far it can go. Yeah. Something like that would be really cool. You said something about how, you know, people are more invested when they think it's real. Right. And that's, yeah, that's so true. So, you know, if they think it's real, they're going to be in this kind of shock value mm-hmm. moment first, right. you know, as so they kind of had this shock and like, oh, you know, before they have the, ah, okay, mm-hmm, you know, I get mm-hmm. it. So you do have, it, there's, it, it, it takes you through more emotions. There's more right. of an emotional roller coaster yeah. going on. Yeah, that's great. And I actually think that like one of the, this feeling of anger the feeling of anger at the top that you first experience has this long tail effect, almost like a hangover. Like they will remember that feeling even after they figured out it was real. Huh? People want to avoid feelings of cognitive dissonance. And so this may be the point after feeling this feeling and, and being able to pinpoint, why do I feel mad? Oh, I feel mad because it's dogs, but it's actually, you know, they're making in comparison to farm animals either this is the point where they go, I don't want to feel this cognitive dissonance anymore and I'm going to change. Or this feeling lays dormant, you know, within them until they feel that way a second time when another vegan talks to them and they're going to like go, oh, this feeling is familiar. Mm, (laughs) So I feel like this, I've really taken to the idea of being like vegan is you don't go vegan overnight. It's everybody, every vegan is planting seeds and, you know, some vegans are watering those seeds and it just, it, everybody's on this different timeline to it. So this could be the seed, this could be the water, this could be the final, you know, thing. Yeah. 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 So another thing that I love about this thing that you've created, this, mm-hmm. what, what do we call it? Campaign. <laughs> a, a project. A, an a project. project. That's good. That's good. My okay. art project. <laughs> Your art project. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Yeah. So another thing that I love about it is that it really relates to the humane hoax. And this Mm -hmm. is, of course, something that's important to me. Uh, I've written a book on the topic and we talk about it a lot on the show. And you made the ads as if the dog meat was free range and local and humane and you used all those feel good labels. Yeah. Why did you add that element? All right. So my pre-vegan self. Um, I, it took me a while to go vegan. And one of the last things I remember doing before going vegan is I fell for the humane hoax. Mm. I was trying to find eggs that were organic and cage free and without hormones. Like I, I 
Googled the website of the farm that I thought that I liked, you know, I was like, and someday I'm going to go visit it. But for right now, I'm only buying eggs from this farm. Mm. And I remember going to the store one day and the eggs were sold out. And I remember standing there in front of the egg case going, well, do I just go without eggs now? Do I just not buy eggs because the <laughs> that one quote unquote humane farm is not there? Mm. So thinking back on that pre-vegan self is like, I don't know if I can fully impact people who aren't even thinking about meat as animals, but I really think that I can reach people who are already considering their welfare, who are already trying to do better by the animals. So I think that when you put these words next to an animal that people know intimately, their dogs, um, they realize that these words are meaningless, you know, cage-free, organic, free-range, hormone-free, even when you get even to the kind of silly, loved, named, hugged, it doesn't matter if at the end, (laughs) if at the end they're slaughtered, you know, you put that next to a dog, like these labels aim to cover this, you know, this reality And by applying them to dogs, we see them for what they are. They're just marketing words that signify nothing. So also I have to say, it is just kind of like, oh my God, you think that this, you think that, you know, I'm, I'm mad that you're buying organic. I mean, every time I go to Whole Foods, I just want to scream because, (laughs) you know, these people care, these people who, who are, I was going to go off. They they care a little, (laughs) they care a little, they care a little, but they, they just not, they're so close and they don't get it. And yeah. yeah, So I love, and it's just, it's also just fun because then that argument comes back. One of the um, reactions that we didn't talk about, which is the vegans who get it and the vegans who get it are in the comments on all the social platforms we have. And it's just lovely because they are, they're going along with it going, mm, as long as it's free range, as long as it's organic, <laughs> as long as it's humane, oh, give me pub bacon. And it's so enjoyable to watch them, watch them fight with people who, who eat animals and go, but I don't see what the problem is there. This is family owned. So oh, wow. it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I, you used words like absurd or, or like, yeah. uh, you know, just how ridiculous these labels are. It's, it's really true when you suddenly step back and apply them to other species, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. No. Uh, you know, mm. whether these things are supposedly a little better because you're still killing and eating them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, but, but I, but I do, I do see these labels and I like to say this because I think it's true. I do see these labels as a stuff, like you said, they care a little, they care a bit, they're starting to care. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and just like you were questioning and you fell for the humane hoax, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of people do now. And when I mm-hmm. went vegan 30 years ago, you know, there was no choice. It was either yeah. the regular or you went vegan, you know? yes. uh, yeah. but now there's this kind of intermediate step, right. Of the humane hoax. And, but at the same time, I do think that it is a good thing because we're recognizing that, that these animals do feel and that they do have emotions and that we shouldn't be hurting them, that we shouldn't be maiming them or, or, you know, torturing them. And so I feel like the, you know, the, the logical step to all that is going to be that we should not kill and eat them. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing how many, I think I heard a guest on one of your other shows mention that the amount of hoops we jump through to try and make it okay to do something that's just horrific that we're that's like, right. but what if we do this? You're like, or you could just stop. Like we're, you're making it so complicated and so it expensive is. and so just, the gymnastics we go through to try to try to keep holding on to something that you don't need and is it's mind boggling. And it's, it's so funny because we're all, we're all kind of trapped in that until we, we have that moment. So, yeah. 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 I think it's trying to hold on to a normalcy in a way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And that's why it's so important to make vegan normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this project, this ruse that you have come up with, uh, it really exposes that cognitive dissonance that Mm -hmm. humans have regarding animals. And we've talked a little about this, but I kind of want to maybe dig in a little deeper. It's like what Melanie Joy calls carnism. 
which which is basically speciesism. It's a view of animals where you know some are for companionship, others are for exploitation and profit. And speciesism, it's it's not only a false sense of superiority to other species, so human superiority to every other species on the planet but also kind of a, a ranking system within different species as to their use, as to their, you know, how we relate to them, if we can abuse them or not, uh, all of that. Uh, and, and, and what you've created really forces people to confront this, to confront these dichotomies. Yeah. So yeah. do you want to talk a little more about that? I have trouble with this. Uh, I have trouble with this because it, it, I feel Oh, what dog meat is what it is. It is the, it is the putting, putting the dog in place of the other animals Very, It's so simple. It's just a, it's just one switch and people are so close to their, so close to dogs. They share their beds with them. They dress them in funny clothes. And when you switch them and put them in the position of our, where our, we put our animals that we raise for food and the fact that it's horrifying it's a shock for a lot of people who've never considered that what they eat is animals to even think about it is um, it's too much. And I think a lot more people would be vegan if given the chance to see this. So yeah, the point of the website is to make people have to have to look at this and consider if they're okay with the choices they're making. Yeah. So I usually ask in the beginning, but I just kind of wanted to jump in to the whole thing, you know, just making sure people knew that this was a fictional uh, campaign yeah. and all of that. But but I would love to ask you how and why you went vegan, like when you went vegan, why you went vegan. Uh, I usually ask in the beginning, but but I'd yeah. love to ask now. Yeah, sure. So um, I actually, I grew up eating meat and going fishing. Uh, we actually had a Hate to say this, we had a meat freezer. Um, you know, oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, we did yep. too. Yeah, yeah, in the garage. Yeah, yep. mm -hmm. and uh, my family was the uh, we deer and elk hunting, and I yeah. actually, I actually went hunting once. I took the hunter safety. I got my tag, but I actually couldn't wow. shoot it because she was too pretty. I, I couldn't oh. shoot the deer; she was too pretty. Wow. Um, I, I had. I remember seeing her and going, "This is a beautiful moment." And it's funny is I have this. Um, I have this pinned tweet on my personal Twitter account, which is, have you ever just stopped to watch animals? They're so much more interesting when they're alive. I feel that like, I've always loved animals, but particularly wildlife. I am just obsessed with watching them and trying to figure out what they're doing and what their relationships are. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. So as a little kid, um, I would save injured birds and mice and um, I grew up in the country, kind of like not in the country, almost like the forest. And, but my family is really into, you know, shooting birds and squirrels and killing so-called pest animals. So I felt kind of like I was their protector a lot of the time. Hmm, well, um, yeah. And I wanted to be a vet or a zookeeper because I thought those are the only jobs that worked with animals. Uh -huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we had, we had like companion animals growing up, but my, my dad actually grew up on a small farm. And so he felt dogs, dogs and cats belonged outside. So I always had a lot of sadness also and sympathy for them because it's cold out and sometimes we wouldn't go see them and they seem so lonely just out there. So this is just kind of like the background being like, I really loved animals, mm. but I still didn't, I didn't have this connection. Um, later on um, as an adult, um, you know, I still had these feelings about, about animals, but I still didn't connect them. When I actually, when I met my husband, Zach, he was raised pescatarian and it was something I'd never even heard of. Um, but he, he had lapsed in college and his family still ate that way though. And I think that's pretty much what inspired me to even consider what, what that might mean to reduce animals that I was eating. And so first I suggested, let's not cook animals at home. And I think it's important to say that my husband does all the cooking. I mean, <laughs> I bake and I do breakfast sometimes and I do some fancy things, but he makes all the meals because otherwise we'd be eating at like 10 PM every night. <laughs> so, um, but so that means anytime I was like, I want to change something about what we eat, it really impacts him because he has to like cater to me, mm. um, which is lovely. I'm just grateful. So grateful for him. So 
2011, we went out with some friends and we had chicken and we had chicken wings and I saw the pile of bones in front of all of us. And I just did this math about how many animals we had just eaten. And mm. I felt so horrible. Wow. And, and so I proposed, well, we could go pescatarian. Zach grew up that way. We just, we'll find out what that's like. And a few years later, we were in Mexico and I set free some baby turtles with this nonprofit. And the very next day we went fishing and I caught a fish and I couldn't bring myself to kill her. I, I was just like, I don't, you know, I thinking about the, the physicalities of it. And so the fishing guy did, but she, she didn't die. Um, and she just slowly bled to death in a cooler. And I remember opening the cooler lid and seeing her in there and it broke my heart. And mm. so after that, I was like, no more fish for me. So I, then I read eating animals and it has this huge section on fishing. And that's what I shared with Zach. He, and he was really affected by the math, you know, the mega trawlers, the bycatch and the waste. So we decided to do vegetarian just to try it out, you know, and it was funny how easy it was. And I didn't miss anything. And, and I, I, at this point, I still didn't know why people were vegan. Like I thought it was a health thing. I was even friends with vegans and they never told me, I think that, you know, they were being very careful trying to like save friendships by not explaining anything to me. It was in 2016, I was on a work trip and I was reading Twitter late at night and I saw a humane league tweet showing a person sorting male chicks into a garbage can. And I was like, what am I looking at? And mm. so I Googled male chicks. I found out about maceration and gassing. I Googled why vegans don't drink milk. And I found out cows had to be pregnant. And I felt so, I mean, here I am a 34 year old woman with friends who are breastfeeding their children. And I had never put the two together. You know, it's just what a shock. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So like I researched all night and I was crying and reading and trying to disprove everything I found. And I couldn't. Um, so I actually, I texted Zach you know, like midnight, I'm like, can we go vegan? And I expected him to say no. And I'd be like, well, that's the end of that. But instead he said, yes. So now I'm out of excuses. Cause the person I love who, who helps <laughs> cook for me is like, sure. Why not? So, yeah. and so, yeah, now it's been like seven, seven years now. And okay. yeah, just, you know, after that point was really, you know, cookbooks and following everything earthling ed does and watching documentaries and then becoming a, a, you know, annoying becoming vegan. A, an unknown a satirist, famous satirist, yeah. uh, vegan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wonderful. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Great journey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I have a similar thing in my childhood. My dad was a hunter and not often, but he would go elk hunting mm -hmm. and we would have a freezer full of elk meat in yeah. the garage. Yeah. That we'd end up yeah. giving most of it away. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so, it's so wild to think about how even think like at that age, we were, we, we had a butcher, a specific butcher that we knew. And that's where we got everything. And we would split, you know, you know split an animal with someone else. Mm. And I, I think that this like background, this quote unquote normal, you know, societal norms that I grew up with have made it easier for me to talk about this to people because I know where they're coming from. And I know what is, I know what is considered normal Yeah, and it's easier to put myself in their shoes and go, what would it be like if I, if I had to change something and what, what steps am I going to have to take in order to get there? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that gives me a little more empathy than, you know, if I had grown up in, in an environment where I was allowed to follow, follow animals and be, <laughs> be yeah. very soft and eat nothing but tofu and yeah. 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 So you have had some criticism around the cultural issue of yeah. dogs being eaten because dogs are eaten in other countries. Right. Uh, and, and years ago, I actually worked on uh, a Korean dog meat campaign at a national nonprofit. This was like 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we were called out. I mean, people often commented and, and called us out for focusing on this issue. And I understand the critiques now, and, and I wouldn't do that work now, mm -hmm. but I think what you're doing is very different because mm -hmm. it is us based and us focused, but would you like to address this? I feel like, you know, you might, might want yeah. to address this. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I personally am us based and focused on a Western audience. 
though I do have to say I have had so many vegan requests for translated versions of the site that I'm actually working with the group Vegan Hacktivist and getting translations in um, French, German, Dutch, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, and actually Croatian as well. Wow. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty, um, that's pretty exciting to try and reach more people, but I do, you know, the, the Elwood's message is that eating dogs is no more unethical or strange than eating other similarly sentient animals, you know, and it's, it's hypocritical to judge other cultures for engaging in practices that are very similar or identical to our own. So the goal is to reach meat eaters who profess to love animals and show them their hypocrisy. And so in the West that that's dogs. And if, if I were somewhere else, it might be a different animal. Yeah. 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 Cause the critique of the, of the Korean dog meat campaign, of course, was that, you know, we should be focusing on our own backyard that we should be focused on. Right. Uh, we certainly kill, you know, billions and billions of cows and chickens and mm-hmm. uh, pigs. And why aren't we focusing on them? And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, but you are, I mean, that's the, that's, mm-hmm. that is the point that's of the this point campaign. Of exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So you have a really comprehensive, uh, frequently asked questions page, really, really Mm -hmm. good. And you have a number of great questions, typical, you know, carnist questions, uh, pre-vegan questions. Yeah. (laughs) And one is about personal choice. And it's, it's kind of that, you know, don't force your views on me. It's my personal choice to eat meat. And I actually got this recently. So it's just been kind of bothering me. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to, I'd love to kind of to unpack this. And so it's, you know, it's a personal choice to pick out what color socks you want to wear that day. It's not a personal choice to hurt someone. And that's, this is when, you know, personal, your personal choices aren't personal anymore. (laughs) They're affecting others Uh, and it becomes an ethical issue and not just a personal choice. You know, do you want to, do you want to talk about this? Yeah. So um, what's interesting. So that FAQ, the FAQ page is inspired by Ed Winters, Ed Winters free ebook. It's 30 non-vegan excuses and how to respond to them. Nice. Yeah. Earth, and Earthling Ed. Earthling Ed. Yeah. 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 And it is just magnificent. When I first went vegan, I actually, I, I got the PDF. I printed it out and I read it because I'm like, I got to be ready for fights because that's what <laughs> vegans do. They fight. So that, that specific question, I, you know, it's interesting to add what is a personal choice to it, choosing a pair of socks or something. But one of the things that Earthling Ed did that I just found, like it just resonated so much with me and it feels almost like satire itself, which is, is it my personal choice to punch you in the face Mm. and be like, it still kind of is, but would you make that choice? Because you know that you're punching someone in the face and you'd Mm. be like, no, this is, you know, there is a, there is a victim here. And what are all the other things we do that we would not consider to be a personal choice, you know? being racist or hitting a child or, you know, that the minute you add this victim into it, it, it turns things. And so I think that, yeah, eating animals is is similar as once you put the animal back into it as a living thing. Right. Yeah. 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 As a sentient emotional being that's being affected by your personal choice. Exactly. A living being. I said a living thing. I meant a living being. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, Molly, this has been just really a fascinating and wonderful conversation. I am so uh, just impressed with what you've done. Uh, (laughs) It's just so clever, so amazing. And I always end the show with this question. So I want to ask you, what gives you hope for the future? I really feel, you know, there, there are more options than ever, you know, for people who are on the fence, for people who are waking up to the humane hoax, you know, they're able to easily find alternatives. I think more media outlets are making the connection between climate change and what we put on our plates. That's helping wake people up. And I also think that more people are willing because it's becoming more mainstream, more people are willing to take baby steps. And so while a vegan world is the goal, we need more people doing something, anything, even imperfectly. So I feel we're approaching this point where more people are understanding why animal agriculture is bad for the planet and bad for animals. And, um, you know, I, I do, I do also think it's a really long battle though. 
and all I can, all I can do is focus on what I can do in this, you know, this lifetime to try and make a small impact. So I think we can all, we can all, we can all do what we can do and um, just try and stay hopeful. Yeah. Well, it's been really great, Molly. Thank you so much for creating the Elwood Dog Meat Company. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And for all that you've done. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks so much. This was so much fun. I loved talking with you. Thank you for listening to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by Compassionate Living. I hope you enjoyed this interview and appreciate Molly's creative thinking, her creative idea. I sure do. This summer's episodes are starting to kind of have a theme now with new and creative ideas in animal protection and the animal advocacy movement because next episode, we have another unique idea to explore, and that's the new concept that's called animal-centered design for farmed animal sanctuaries and for animal rescue. And it's basically designing and creating spaces for rescued farmed animals that are that are tuned into the needs of different species, the needs of individual animals, so that they can feel safe and thrive. I just I love all the new innovative, creative thinking that's going on for the liberation of animals, animals who have suffered at human hands for too long. Let's use our hands and our hearts to make the world a better place for farmed animals. And my podcast guests are really embodying that with this kind of theme now that we've got going of new and creative ideas. I just love it. So tune in next time, next episode for more out-of-the-box thinking about animals. Also, please help us to reach more listeners and share this episode with your friends and networks on social media. You can go to our Facebook or Instagram page and share it from there or directly from our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org. We have a way on the episode page to just you scroll down to the bottom and you can share it on your social media page. I think this one would be a great one to share with pre-vegans. And if you're not vegan and you listened to this episode Thank you for sticking to the end, and I hope that this interview really helped you to think about the cognitive dissonance of eating animals. Maybe it helped you to tap into your compassionate nature and be inspired to join the many sympathetic and caring people who live vegan.